live from Earth, it's Space Radio. This is Paul Sutter, and coming up, we're talking about dreams of dark matter. And if I have time, check out this really old star. And of course, taking listener questions about all things, you know, all things, because that's what this show is about. We record every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, so call 888-581-0708 to join the conversation. And in today's Blue Shift, I'll be talking about book events. But first, the news. Hello, space fans. Welcome to Space Radio. I'm Paul Sutter, astrophysicist at OSU, chief scientist at Cosine for the next half hour, your agent to the stars. Got an exciting show for you today on Space Radio where we talk about all the amazing things in our little universe. This show lives on listener questions. We record every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern here in Studio A of WCBE Radio Columbus. So call 888-581-0708. You can call that number anytime and even leave a voicemail. Get those calls in and we'll have a nice little chat. You can also follow along on our live streams on YouTube and Twitch. Go to spaceradioshow.com for the links and join all the amazing space cadets watching live right now from Milford Sounds, New Zealand, Salt Lake City, Wales, the UK, Pell City, Alabama, Cornwall, Denver, Colorado, Hutto, Texas, Princeton, New Jersey, and more. Seriously, folks, I've only prepped 10 minutes to show material tops, so get those calls in. Before I start taking questions, I want to share some interesting bits of news I caught recently. Here's the cool thing. There are two separate stories that came out this week all about dark matter and all about things we don't understand about dark matter and hopefully ways we can try to at least get a little bit of sense of understanding dark matter. So... Let me just back up in case you're not aware. Most of the universe is dark. Most of the universe is not made of luminous matter, a.k.a. baryonic matter, a.k.a. matter that interacts with light. Most of the stuff in the universe does not glow, is not hot, does not scatter or reflect or absorb light. It is like two ex-lovers, dark matter and light. They're just going to walk right by each other without even making eye contact. And that is, it turns out, it turns out most of the universe, like no one asked for this. No one wanted it. We just found it through the evidence. Now we know that dark matter exists, but we do not know what dark matter is. We are pretty sure by now that it is some sort of particle, some sort of fundamental thing that is outside the standard model of particle physics. So it's a new kind of particle, it's a new kind of thing, never before detected, and and we can only sense it. We can only infer its existence by looking at the motions of galaxies and stars and everything else that's carried along gravitationally by the dark matter. And in one news story, we may be in the middle of what's called a dark matter stream, where every once in a while satellite galaxies, dwarf galaxies, will plow through the Milky Way. The Milky Way will eat them alive, but leave behind the stars, and the stars will be scattered in a long, thin stream, and these stars will have the same velocity, the same motion, the same composition, the same age. We can tell that these stars were once part of a single isolated group that has since disassociated as it's plowed through the Milky Way. 
So we see the stars. It's a group of about 30,000 stars that we call the S1 stream. And we think, and we happen, our solar system has, happens to be passing through that stream right now. And we think that might give a little boost to the dark matter signal. There might be a little bit extra bump of dark matter in our particular patch of the galaxy. And hopefully as we try to detect dark matter and actually see what's going on, this might help those experiments. Or not, because we don't fully understand this dark matter. The other news story is that is a recently discovered satellite galaxy of the Milky Way that's pretty big. It's about the size of the large Magellanic Cloud, but like 10,000 times dimmer. It has hardly any stars. And that's not too crazy. Again, these dwarf galaxies, these satellite galaxies, when they plow through the Milky Way galaxy, the Milky Way will strip all the stars off, and the little nugget, the core, will make it plow all the way through, go out the other side, and continue on in its orbit. But usually when that happens, it's pretty small. The remnant is just small and stripped and bare, ripped out to its very core. Here is the case where we apparently have a big satellite, a big dwarf galaxy that survived a passage through the Milky Way and is still rather large. What does that teach us about dark matter? I don't know. If you've got any good ideas, let me know. That's the latest and greatest when it comes to space. But it's time to have a conversation. We've got a caller. Hey, Jack, thanks for calling Space Radio. Where on Earth are you? I'm in a place called Celestial Village in Star, Idaho. Celestial Village in Star, Idaho. How appropriate is that? we got to get Space Radio broadcast out in your neighborhood, I think. What's your question? What are you curious about today? I was wondering if you could discuss descriptive science as compared to explanatory science and standards of truth. Ooh, very deep question. I love that question, Jack. So there's this joke. There's this joke, and I'm not saying I'm telling the joke. I am simply repeating the joke that other people have told, that all of science is either physics or stamp collecting. That either, either you're trying to develop mathematical models of the way the universe works, which is physics, and physics can be expressed in certain other areas like chemistry, or you're just... You're just cataloging, you're classifying, you're, you're putting labels on things without really understanding. And, and sometimes when it comes to a particular field like astronomy, sometimes it feels a little bit more like physics where you're trying to develop mathematical models of the way things work. And other times, other times you're just trying to classify and, and bag and tag different kinds of stars and galaxies because we don't really have a strong understanding. In truth, all fields of science do a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Science, as a way of looking at the universe, has a few pillars. One pillar is observation. Observation, observation. Data collection. Looking at what nature is showing us, listening to what nature is telling us, recording, recording, recording in as unbiased a way as possible. Just simply observing what is out there, writing it down. That's one part of science. Another part of science is building mathematical models. Okay, we see things in nature, 
We see potential relationships. We see potential cause and effects. We see potential underlying structures that are able to explain the observations. There are more fundamental things happening that can explain a wide variety of, of physical circumstances. We call these things theories. These are entire machines, apparatuses that can input one set of data and make sense of it in an underlying framework and spit out predictions and models and viewpoints that you didn't have before. These theories are grounded in mathematics. Mathematics is our language across the sciences for understanding how the universe works across all fields of science. But then there's so much more to that, to science. There are generation of hypotheses. There are cataloging. A lot of times, you know, we look at galaxies, for example, or tree frogs, and we're trying to just classify them because we're trying to make sense of the observation. How many different kinds of galaxies are there? Well, that's a really good question. How many different kinds of tree frogs are there? Well, that's also a really good question. And it's about that fundamental classification of, of just trying to sort and order things. And from there, given your data, how much data you have and how good your data is. You try to do the best job you can in building mathematical models. Sometimes, sometimes the data are very poor. Sometimes you don't have very good observations. And so the mathematical models you're able to build are sketches, are frameworks of just guesses thrown at the wall where you say, well, there's this group over here and they seem to be related to that group over there. And I think I have some sort of statistical connection. So I'll write down some math that describes that statistical connection, but I don't really understand what's going on. That happens a lot in all fields of science. And of course, there's the other side too, where, wow, we have so much data. We're so rich. There's an overabundance that I can really dig in and I can tease out the fundamental relationships and I can find just a small set of equations or maybe even one equation that's able to describe an entire category of physical or biological or chemical processes. So I don't see, getting to your question finally, I don't see a division between different kinds of science. I see a continuum and I see all fields of science doing all the things they can in different ways from particle physics to chemistry to to biology, physics, astronomy, the whole deal. All kinds of science exhibit all kinds of ways of learning about the universe and the different standards for what's worthy of publication is going to depend on the circumstances. It's going to depend on how good your data are. Excellent question, Jack. I love those kinds of questions about how science works, about how we understand the universe. Thank you so much for calling. We got to take a quick break, folks. Don't forget to call 888-581-0708 to join the conversation. You can also leave a voicemail, or you can catch the live streams on YouTube and Twitch. Go to spaceradioshow.com for the links. And this show is brought to you by you. And this show is Space Radio, and I am Paul Sutter. And you can go to patreon.com slash pmsutter to learn how you 
can keep this show going. See you after the break. Hey, Space Cadets. WCB's Let's Talk Space book signing event takes off on November 27th at 6.30 p.m. in the CA Backspace venue. Explore the vastness of the universe with space radio host and astrophysicist Dr. Paul Sutter as he discusses his new book, Your Place in the Universe, Understanding Our Big Messy Existence. Heal your curiosity and space knowledge with hors d'oeuvres from Z Cucina and also freshly baked cupcakes from A Little of a Bake Shop. Reservations are $40 and include a signed copy of Paul's book. This deal isn't rocket science. Register now at wcbe.org. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. We've got a voicemail question ready to go. But remember, you can join the conversation by calling 888-581-0708 or by following the live streams. Go to spaceradioshow.com for the links. And here's the voicemail. Greg, play the tape. Good morning, Dr. Sutter. This is Lori in White Salmon, Washington, over on the West Coast. My question regards Kepler's third law. I was reading about this in your great new book, Your Place in the Universe, and it clarified a lot of questions for me. But I do wonder, this math formula that tells us about the distance from the sun and the rate at which planets are moving around the sun, can that be applied to any object within an orbit in our solar system, non-planetary objects? Does it apply to moons orbiting around planets? And does this formula hold up in other solar systems, or is this somehow dictated by something unique to our system, perhaps the mass of our sun or the rate of its rotation? Great question, Lori. Now, I do have a question for you. How did you get a copy of my book, even though it's not out until Tuesday? But we'll save that discussion for later. I'm glad you enjoyed the book, and it sparked some even more curiosity. I do tell the story in the book. In fact, I start the book with Kepler's Laws, because I feel that is a critical turning point in our understanding of our place in the universe. And Kepler discovered, after nine years, years of working at this problem. He was looking at the orbits of the planets and he was trying to just make sense of them. Like, is there any, like this story of dark matter, the story of, of science in general, like, is there any fundamental rule that is able to explain the motions of the planets? And he happened upon something. He was just trying all sorts of random combinations and he hit upon something he found. If you take the time it takes for a planet to go in orbit around the sun, it's period. And you square that number, so you multiply it by itself. And then you take the distance of that planet from the sun and you cube that number. These two numbers, these two numbers that you get are proportional to each other. You get a number. If you take their ratio, if you take the period squared divided by the distance cubed, you get a number. And then you do it for another planet. So you do it for the Earth, you do it for Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn. You didn't know about Uranus and Neptune, but it works there too. You get the exact same number every time. There's a constant. When Kepler discovered this, he... I don't know if he was sitting in a chair, but if he was, he probably fell out of it because that's how stunning this result is. Like, boom, boom. Because if you just look at the period of the planets and the distance of the planets from the sun, they're all sorts of random numbers. But then you square this one and cube it and you divide, you get a number that is constant for every single planet. He had no idea what was causing this. 
He had no idea why it was the period squared or the distance cubed. Why not to the fourth power or the square root or, or just times four or whatever. He had no idea where it came from, but he knew he was onto something cool. We now call this Kepler's third law and Kepler's third law is universal. It doesn't just apply to the planets orbiting the sun. It applies to any orbit. It applies to any asteroid or comet or Kuiper belt object orbiting the sun. It applies to the moon orbiting the earth. It applies to the moons orbiting Jupiter. It applies to extra solar systems. If you take a random star and you see a random planet orbiting that random star and you calculate the time it takes for that planet to orbit around the star in the mean distance and you square the first number and cube the other number and take the ratio, you'll get the exact same ratio. Or sorry, you won't get the exact same ratio, but you will see a relationship. You will see the relationship. The exact ratio, the exact ratio between the period squared and the distance cubed will depend on the mass of the sun or the mass of the thing that you're orbiting. That number that pops out will be different for different systems. So moons orbiting a planet will have one set of numbers, but all those moons will have the exact same number. If you go to another star system, they'll have a different number, but all the planets in that system will have the exact same number. But the fact that there's a proportion that this reduces to a constant, that is universal. And that was Kepler's big insight. It wasn't until Newton, Isaac Newton, a couple generations later, like 75 years later, that Newton was able to explain Kepler's result. Newton, once he developed this concept of universal gravity, and he was able to conceptualize an idea of the force of gravity, he was able to run through the machinations of like, oh, if you have a, a star with a mass M and a planet of another mass and they have a distance, I know universal gravity and it's super awesome. I can play some math games and I can derive Kepler's law. Kepler's law is a consequence of universal gravity. So it's gonna change for every system depending on the mass of the central object, whether it's the sun or a planet with moons or another star, but that ratio will always remain. There will always be this universality within the system because it comes from a more fundamental thing. This is the power of science. This is the power of exploration of we can start with, we can start with a vague understanding of just data. We have a bunch of planets with a bunch of weird orbits. We can find a relationship between them or among them, Kepler's laws. We can't fully understand it, but we know there's something cool going on. And then we can take it one step deeper and discover a more fundamental concept that is not only able to explain the data, but all the connections among the data. Boom. Universal gravity. Great question, Lori. I love how this whole episode just tied together, themed on explorations in science. Thank you so much for that amazing question. We're almost out of time today on Space Radio, but before we go, it's time for the Blue Shift. I'm Paul Sutter, and you're listening to Space Radio, and this is the Blue Shift, my opportunity to get just a little bit closer to you. And today, I want to talk about ways that I can get in your face. We all know by now that my book, 
Your Place in the Universe, Understanding Our Big Messy Existence, is coming out Tuesday, November 20th in bookstores nationwide. And we all know by now that I am going on a book tour. I will be visiting your place in the universe, wherever that place is. I'm not all places. It's a finite amount of time that is allotted for my book tour. But the party starts here in Columbus, Ohio. It starts on November 20th, the launch date itself. There's a launch party at Strongwater Food and Spirits. There's going to be free food. There is going to be a free lecture by me, free Q&A, books for sale. The books are not for free. You have to buy that part, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Then Monday, November 26th, also in Columbus, I'll be at the Gateway Film Center. There'll be a screening of the movie Prospect. We're going to watch that movie together. I'm going to host a Q&A after. I'm going to sell books after. It'll be tons of fun. And then, of course, WCBE 90.5 FM, Giving Tuesday, November 27th. We are going to have such a fun session. That will be a ticketed event. Proceeds go to support WCBE. You will get a free copy of your book if you buy a ticket. I'm going to read from the book, and Mr. Greg Mobius himself will DJ the event. Give me some groovy backing tunes for the selections from the book, and of course do a Q&A and hang out. It's going to be such a fun vibe. Uh, November 29th, I'll be at the Columbus Science Pub at Shadowbox Live, where you get to ask me all the questions you've always wanted to know about space. Uh, and then I'll be in New York for a performance of TikTok at the Alvin Ailey Studios. I'll be at Science Exclamation Point at Caveat Theaters. There's some other events cooking up in New York. Following after that, going into December, I'll be at the Carnegie Science Center. I'll be at the Works. I'll be at Gramercy Books. I'll be at the Steam Factory, Perkins Observatory, Cincinnati Observatory, uh, Miami University, Boonshoft Planetarium, going on and on and on. And then once winter is over and it gets a little bit easier to travel, I will be touring around the country. Go to my website, pmsutter.com slash book that's pmsutter.com slash book and down at the bottom of the page you know there's this page is great has all sorts of glowing stuff about my book and quotes from reviewers and all that down at the bottom has a list of tour stops going all the way through may and going all the way from the east coast to the west coast north coast northern border to southern border of the united states i am taking this book to you and we're gonna find our place maybe one of these days and unfortunately this broadcast is almost done thank you for joining me on this voyage of space radio once again i'm paul sutter and this show is brought to you by the ohio state university department of astronomy learn more at astronomy.osu.edu this show is also brought to you by you visit patreon.com slash pm sutter your contributions are absolutely critical. Keep this show on the air and appreciate it every single episode. Thanks to Greg Mobius for producing, Nancy Graziano for wrangling the space cadets, Dan Michalka for being awesome, and all the fine crew at WCB Radio for making this show possible. We record every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern. Call 888-581-0708 or call anytime and leave a voicemail. You can also catch the live streams on YouTube and Twitch. Go to spaceradioshow.com for the links. You can also follow me on all social channels. My name is at Paul Matt Sutter on those channels. Thanks again, Earthlings, for listening. See you next week. And remember, science is for sharing. End of transmission.